Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Hey, Lee, did you get off your horse after last week's rodeo? Oh, are you kidding? Of course I did. And what a pleasure it was to deal with them every week. Uh, I, I sit there and think, what can we do for an interesting show? What could we do for a fun show? And the rodeo is definitely uh, not what people generally expect from the Pet Expert Talk Show. Yeah, but I was—I'm always fascinated with the students that come in here because they're our, our tomorrow's future because they're the leaders of this group, and right. it's a group that requires some bright minds as well as some very energetic. Uh, activity to make this actually happen. Well, I agree with that. And the other thing that I love about those students, and we've noticed it because we've interviewed them enough times to see it, the connection to 4-H and youth animal exposure is always, it seems, an ingredient in these people. And I love that fact because I, I just think that if you want the best people possible, if you're out there hiring and you find someone with 4-H on their resume, hire that person. Well, certainly worth considering. And, <laughs> and not only that, but if you have a child that's uh, uh, near you as you listen to the show, think about figuring out where your 4-H office is and get your child involved. Uh, nature is there and animal care and keeping is there. and uh, Responsibility. Responsibility is there and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, working with the earth, you know, in, in ways that uh, kids can learn responsibility. So... Well, I think it can make a big difference for them. But getting back to the show, Rick, as I said, I spend a lot of time trying to think about who would be a good guest. But today's guest, I didn't have to think about at all because we've had him almost every year. It just so happens February is Vet Dentistry Month where the world says, hey, you with pets, maybe you want to pay attention to the fact that they have teeth. And when you're looking for an expert, usually you can find somebody who's pretty good. And I know you've even joked with me about you get a little uncertain when I call you the pet expert. But bottom line <laughs> this is, guy, when it comes to dentistry, um, you know, this guy is the pet expert. So uh, there um, is nobody better. I mean, you know, this guy has been uh, doing it. He oh. talks about you got to go back to the age of dinosaurs. Well, that's when he was in vet school. <laughs> well, <laughs> tongue in cheek, <laughs> literally. Well, but but he is absolutely awesome. Yeah. His name is Dr. Ben Colmery, and he owns the Dixborough Veterinary Dental Clinic in Ann Arbor. And he has been working on teeth forever and wow. preaching the importance of keeping your animals healthy by virtue of having a clean mouth. And I don't mean one that swears. I mean, maybe your bird can swear, but bottom <laughs> line is when it comes to your animals, you want their mouth clean. Yes. And, uh, you know, his definition of clean, you know, he gives you a much better understanding of what you can do preventatively and what you can look for to kind of that early 
warning opportunity so that you can be on top of it instead of uh, being your pet being steamrolled by the pain and, and suffrage of, of, of bad cavity-type mouth situations or cracked teeth and right. and things like that. So this would be a good show to listen to, especially if you have a dog or a cat nearby. Yeah, I would definitely suggest, even if you can't listen to it all now while it's on, go back to the podcast on the WILS website and listen to it because when Dr. Comery talks, you really should listen because he pretty much lays out to you, here's the way that you need to take care of your animal, whether it's a ferret, whether it's a guinea pig, whether it's a dog, whether it's a cat. And he'll even tell you if you're having them put under with anesthesia, what anesthesia you need to ask for and what procedures you need to expect from your veterinarian who's doing it. And where do you get advice like that, Rick? Nowhere. Right. right. And this gentleman has been doing this for many, many years. He's uh, older, old, older than you and I, yeah. and uh, been doing this forever. Um, and I've always been impressed with his energy and his enthusiasm and his interest in just offering free advice. Right? You know, free advice. Yeah. No, he is. He is phenomenal. And the fact that he uh, and and you said it best, Rick. The fact that he has nothing to gain from coming on our show because the truth is he's booked for the next five months. <laughs> if you want to go see him, that's how busy he is. But every year he will come on and spend 40, 45 minutes with us talking about the topic of vet dentistry, and we're grateful to have him. So that's what we're going to talk about with Dr. Ben Colmery from Ann Arbor this week on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. Rick Bruce and Lee Cohen on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show from 1320 WILS. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest. I've got to say, he's become like an annual thing in February. You've got Valentine's Day, we've got your birthday, and we've got our talk with Dr. Colmery. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Dr. Colmery. Thank you. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. For any of you who have not heard Dr. Calmery with us, the best way I know of to describe him is that he is literally the ancestor from which all vet dental seems to have evolved and is one of the top people in teaching it and in doing it in the country. And he's based out of Ann Arbor. And Dr. Calmery, my my first question for you to begin with is this year we've seen a continued increase of people and their love for their animals. My guess is that more and more of them are actually now spending time with their animals, either brushing their teeth, doing things to take care of them, or at least flipping the lips, as you've always said in the past. Is that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's just becoming insanely busy. Uh, I need to clone myself about 100 times. Uh, we're booking out until August right now, and it's just it's just crazy, absolutely crazy. And it's a good thing. I mean, people are aware that actually animals have teeth, and oh, son of a gun, maybe something needs to be done about them. And whereas in you know, decades past, uh, 
Uh, it was only until the face was blown up like a balloon that they would actually realize, oh, maybe there is something wrong. So, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool uh, that people are actually beginning to do some some preventative stuff and really paying attention to this and uh, not having the animal evolve into just an oral cesspool. It's pretty cool. What I really enjoy about this is uh, maybe the listening audience doesn't know this, but we don't pay any of our guests. And if you're booked till, let's say, August, August <laughs> you know, there's no real incentive personally for you to come on the show. But you have always been at Beck and Call every February to come on the show and talk about dental care. You know, And you've been doing supporting of dental care all of your life. And, well, you're not a spring chicken. So why... <laughs> <laughs> why Why are you so generous with your time? And tell us a little bit about your passion for dental care for pets. Well, that is the operative word, passion. It is, it's been my, uh, my career, if you will, uh, and it's been something that I've watched evolve since the get-go. Uh, and it's, it's a very rewarding experience to see what has actually happened and the level of care that's being provided. Uh, everybody kind of has their thing that their, their life kind of centers around. And in my profession, yeah, it's oral cavity. Uh, it's it, What I like about it is the challenges that it presents. Uh, just to give you an example, of which I probably won't go down this path, but at our last Dell meeting out in Reno, Nevada, we had uh, experts in the human side from UC Davis and got really deep into the weeds on the pathophysiology of disease and all the the nuances of the discoveries that are being made. And it turns out that the microbiome in animals, there are a lot of pathogens and a lot of bad bacteria that are lurking in those shadows that we had no clue in the past. And now with all the DNA and RNA sequencing, we're beginning to learn, holy smokes, some of those are bad guys down there that we didn't know were bad guys. And what I see and envision in the future is that we'll be able to identify what these organisms do and then have silver bullets to get rid of them. It's so freaking cool. And I tell people that come in, I was born 40 years too soon. Uh, these kids getting out of school now are going to have it knocked. I mean, they're going to have it too easy. They'll take the guesswork out of it. Well, hopefully, so that's, that's what I enjoy seeing. I, I enjoy seeing the progress that's being made. Do, do you see the... You know, when, when you talk about that, back when you were you were much younger, your passion uh, overflowed into a profession that wasn't even paved. Uh, with, the, with the students that you're seeing now, uh, those that study under you, those that you've gone out to meet or teach or at conferences and such, the younger individuals, do you see that, that passion or that, that clicking going on that, that, that makes you feel that, uh, yes, in the next 20, 40 years um, – even though you're not going to necessarily be the at the forefront of it, there'll be others that are, are taking the lead? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I do see interest, I mean, in this era of specialization in veterinary dentistry and, and general medicine and cardiology and all these things. We've got a lot of specialty areas for people to go into. Uh, the oral cavity is sadly... And I'll digress for a second, uh, and I can't remember if I said this last year, but in the year 2020, the American Veterinary Medical Association Council on Education discovered that animals have teeth. <laughs> and 
And it wasn't until 2020 that it, oral surgery and dentistry is now a required component of the veterinary curriculum. Uh, and in the past, it had always been an afterthought. And now it has to be an integral part of the teaching of these students. And when I have kids come down from MSU, I have one here today, as a matter of fact, and you begin to show them all the, 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 the nuances of the oral cavity and the things that can be done, their jaws hit the floor. They had no idea. And so I think what happens once they get exposed to it and they realize, man, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do. And with the advent of imaging and cone beam CTs and the ability to identify problems that we couldn't identify in the past, you know, it lights a fire. And these kids look at it and they say, man, this looks, this looks like something I want to do. So I do think to answer your question, yeah, I do think there's going to be uh, uh, people who follow in the footsteps and uh, who pursue these interests because the problem with animals is they suffer in silence. They don't give you a freaking clue. I have a dog here today, a 16-year-old dog that has a, a abscessed uh, a tooth. And as didn't happen yesterday, this has been brewing for a long time, and the owners had no clue of it because the dog was happy, happy, happy. And then the face blows up last night, and it makes a trip to the ER, and already, well, you got some rotten teeth in there that need to come out. That's the problem. Animals suffer in silence until they reach a tipping point, and then all bloody heck breaks loose. Is there any, uh, I was just thinking, um, does the biome of the mouth itself change when when that's happening over time? Is there some almost, if you would be, litmus test one could use that, that would then pick up a, a reaction of some kind that would say, hey, early warning, there is an issue with your, with your pet? Well, that's an interesting question because, uh, you know, the test questions always say, the questions stay the same. It's the answers that change. And it used to be gram-negative anaerobic modal rods. Now it's gram-positive cocci because the, the, the biome and all those bacteria below the radar, they are, there are some pathogens there, the contributors. Yes, there are indicators for disease. And on the human side, uh, there have been uh, various and sundry tests that have been used to stick down on the gingival sulcus to see if there is disease. But I think the gold standard really and truly uh, is more of an operative standpoint where you get the animals off into happiness land and you snap the x-rays. Uh, not a lot of dogs are going to be, and kitties are going to be really thrilled with you poking things in the mouth when they have a sore tooth. They're going to take kind of a dim view of that. But in this uh, era of imaging and more and more and more and more veterinarians are stepping up to the plate and doing interoral radiology, that's really the gold standard right now. At some point down the road, there probably will evolve some saliva tests uh, and markers for the disease. Uh, but in, in veterinary medicine, the problem we have with all the different species, people have it easy. I mean, those human docs, hell, they only have one species they got to deal with. We have everything else on the planet. Mm. And so for, for companies to come up with markers for the canine and feline and whatever species out there, ferrets, whatever it is, that's the conundrum because they got to kind of look at developing these things and then marketing and all that other good stuff. So I think the long answer to question, there will be better markers down the road, but as it is right now, it's, it's interoral radiology is what you have to do. And I, and I guess, um, one thing I think about is um, 
when somebody's thinking, you had mentioned that the only way then in the doorway right now is to kind of put put the animal under and then have x-rays taken. And I'm sure that there's people out there listening that have had journeys that haven't ended so well when it's come to, you know, putting their pet under. Can you talk about any advancements or improvements in regards to anesthesiology and, uh, and, and, and the likelihood of any issues coming about with respect to that procedure? Yes, and, and that's an excellent point. And yes, I do deal with those conversations uh, pretty much on a daily basis. Uh, as you said earlier in the intro, I am no spring chicken. Uh, I had a, I had a four-hour surgery on my own body a couple of years ago, and when I woke up, I felt, man, I feel pretty good. And I asked the surgeon, "What anesthesia you guys use on me?" And they said, "Sevoflurane." And I said, "Heck, that's what I use in my office." And then I got the bill from St. Joe Hospital, and I said, hell, if I didn't know that, I'd have brought my own bottle. <laughs> <laughs> but be, but being an alumnus and in first-person experience with it, uh, it's it really is an amazing thing. And I think the one of the, the kind of the conundrums and the frustrations is for practices to keep up with what needs to be done. And in this day and age, uh, yeah, there there's some really great alternatives and options, and uh, one really ought to be able to anesthetize pretty much anything that walks through the door. And I tell clients I only have one rule, and that rule is they have to be alive when they come through the front door <laughs> because I've learned if they're not alive, it's really hard to wake them up when you're done. <laughs> yeah, fair so, enough, fair enough. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's my rule. But, yes, there's the, the monitoring equipment, you know, what I tell clients is, look, if when you go into the regular vet from a monitoring standpoint, when the animal's under anesthesia, you ask, do you monitor blood pressure? And if the answer is yes, cool. If the answer is, well, we have a technician watch the animal, then seek services elsewhere because, no, that's not the, what, what's done. But in this day and age, it, it really isn't the anesthesia that's a consideration. Uh, it's do we have an attainable goal? And those practices that step up to the plate, that have sevoflurane, that have all the bells and whistles and the toys to monitor patients, you know, rock and roll. There's there's no reason for them to lose. Now, yes, you can get blindsided, but I'll be straight up. An acceptable, in my practice anyway, my anesthetic death rate is one per 10,000 events. Right, right. And, and certainly those coming into the door aren't always in the best of condition. Oh, no. The 16-year-old dog today hasn't, you know, his liver's a little dicey. I told the, the uh, people that's drinking too much red wine, has got to back off on the red wine and, uh, you know, obviously be facetious. But right. but the, the bottom line is, yeah, there there are compromises in their bodies, cardiovascular-wise, the whole bit. But if you pay attention to it and you do what I do uh, on a daily basis, no, you should be able to help these animals out. Now, you know, I'm not going to do root canals on a 16-year-old dog that's going to be down for two hours doing an endo. Come on. No, the tooth goes bye-bye. I mean, you got to be realistic about these things. Uh, but I just don't look at, in my practices, anesthesia as as the criteria. It's, it's got to be, can I fix it? And, and I, there are practices out there that are stepping up to the plate. But if there's any word to use, 
uh, I would strongly suggest uh, that your listening audience ask their vet, do you use sevoflurane? It's S-E-V-O, sevoflurane. And if your answer is yes, rock and roll. And if the answer is, oh, well, we use these others, then hmm, not so much. Right, right. Now, let's say on your day off, it, um, you know what? Uh, we'll probably let's let's kick this to the other side. And, and the question I'll ask is: on on your day off, and you're out. Let's just say, for imagination, you go to the dog park and you see a field of dogs that are out there. What goes through your mind as far as what people should be thinking about or being concerned about that they may not even realize that's going on in the mouth of those dogs? And before we get to the answer to that question, we need to take a break. We're speaking this morning with Dr. Ben Calmery, who is with the Dixboro Veterinary Dental Clinic in Ann Arbor. And we'll be back right after the break on 1320 WILS. It's the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And our guest this week is Dr. Ben Colmurray, who is one of the original vet dentistry experts, not just in the state of Michigan, but in the country and, dare I say, in the world. And, Rick, you gave him the preview of your question. Anything you want to add to that? Well, no, I just, uh, I'm just curious, uh, you know, I suppose if, a if a hair salon artist, uh, went into a room, uh, uh, full of, uh, uh, individuals at a, at a, at a stadium and saw all those hairs wondering what they could do with it, you know, there'd be all kinds of ideas in that person's head. But as, as a dentist and you're going into a field of dogs and people that care for those dogs and really genuinely care for those dogs, what do they need to know as, uh, a concerned pet hobbyist to, uh, that's going on in those mouths and what should they be doing as a preventative or concern uh, to kind of get ahead of the game? Sure. Well, the first thing when you mentioned the dog park, uh, that's job security for veterinarians. <laughs> and I tend to, the, the take-home message that I would give uh, people is for especially the smaller dogs, kind of the beagle on down, is if you're going to go to a dog park, make sure you have a harness. Do not use a collar. Put them in a harness. Because one of the real problems we've had with, with the COVID stuff and people out there walking their dogs, everybody thinks every dog on the planet is friendly, and they're not. And when uh, during, this, especially 2020, uh, we had an insane number of fractured jaws come through the door. I had 10 in one day because people think they're all friendly and they let them sniff noses and sniff butts and then all of a sudden you have the big dog little dog confrontation chomp and the highest point is their head so if you're going to go to a dog park the very first thing for goodness sakes is have them in a harness so that if things get a little dicey you can lift them right up mm -hmm. and you're not strangling them with a collar you know you're not trying to hang the dog and uh, you want to pick it up uh, on the chest. So that's the very first thing that comes to mind. From a, uh, you, you use, my, my wife is a hairdresser, so <laughs> when you brought up the hair salon thing, you know, that rang some bells. Uh, but what I would look at uh, from the standpoint of, 
of what the pet owners ought to be doing is, yeah, is early intervention. Don't wait till the teeth are rotting out and falling out on the floor and expect a veterinarian to wave a magic wand. Uh, I'm There are two products out there uh, that I have become a ginormous fan of. Uh, one of them is not necessarily easy to get, but there's a new product called Yummy Combs. It's Y-U-M-M-Y-C-O-M-B-S, and it's the first dental chew treat on the planet that actually makes sense. Uh, it's shaped like a honeycomb. The company went to nature and said, all righty, well, let's make this look like the honeycomb. And I thought, hell, if I'd have, why did I think of that? And uh, it just makes too much sense. But when the dogs chomp down on these things, the walls of the honeycomb act like chisels on the teeth. And it's not junk food. It's, it's, it's a good product. Uh, and I tell people if they give one every day or two, it's just absolutely fine. And it's amazing how well it'll keep those teeth clean. And, uh, and yeah, brush your teeth twice a day. Good luck with that. Uh, so I think anything that is easy to do, people will do it. So that's my chew treat, uh, and I'm just a ginormous fan of that. And I have people that I think they buy 18 wheelers full of them because they love the product. Spell it again. And the other from Go spell, ahead. Spell that again. It's Y-U-M-M-Y, Yummy and Combs, C-O-M-B-S. Thank you. And I think that, you know, the pet shop stores really ought to look into carrying that product and, and then just say, yeah, this is what Ben says you ought to use because it, it really is stellar. I mean, it, it's amazing to see the differences. And, and I've had dogs come back in that have been on that product and, damn, is that the same dog? Holy smokes, those teeth are gorgeous. So that's, that's good. The other thing, from a topical standpoint, and there's a bazillion products out there, but the one that I seem to have the best luck with is a product called Pet Smile. It's P-E-T Smile, you know, Pet Smile. And that's something they just have to lick off a stick. And it's another product uh, that does tend to help uh, retard a plaque and calculus on the teeth. So when I see these little critters running around and outside, I'm thinking, okay, gummy combs for you. <laughs> and I think if people, if I think people would start in with that to begin with, uh, and you know, it keeps the pearly whites pearly white, and not wait till they're rotting out on the floor, uh, that that would that would be a really really good thing because obviously. For what I do, and as we've talked about, you know, they require anesthesia. Well, if I can minimize the number of anesthetic events for the animal, that's pretty cool. And and I think these products uh, really do help with that. But it's early intervention. You know, when they're a year and a half, two years of age, that's when you start. Because the mouth should be in pretty decent shape at that point. Yeah, no, that's that's, that's, that's excellent. Uh, because, you know, realistically, um, the mouth is that hidden hole. You know, that people just want oh, yeah. to ignore. They don't, you know, they just assume everything's going to be okay because, well, they just hope that it will be. <laughs> yeah, well, and the thing, too, is it's, it's people can take a peek at the canine teeth, uh, the anterior teeth, but looking way in the back, uh, the first and second molars on the top, those are tough teeth to visualize yeah. even when they're in happiness land. And that's where a lot of pathology will, will start. And a lot of hassles back there, and the honeycombs really help keep those teeth clean. I mean, it's amazing because that's those are the teeth they crunch with, yes. and and that's sort of the misconceptions because people will, oh, the teeth look fine, and then you flip the lips and look in the back, and it's a rotten mess. And so, you know, if you're going to look at the mouth, you got to look at the whole mouth. You can't just flip the lips in the front. 
Well, you're talking to a pet store owner now, so we'll <laughs> yeah. we'll look into bringing those on. I'll find my supplier. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll find a supplier it of it. Yeah, so. that's why I brought it up. I'm yeah, sorry. That's great. Yeah, I'll find a supplier. Nice. Uh, it's, it's, nice. it's excellent product, and it's not junk food. It's mm. got toxiquin in it. I mean, it's 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 not just empty calories. They they put some nutrition in this product. It's good stuff. Nice. My dog loves them. She thinks that's the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> now, Dr. Colbury, in addition to that, is there anything like a mouthwash or something like that for cats and dogs? Because uh, there's a lot of people these days that, I mean, I, I don't know if it's the right thing or not, but I see them kissing their animals pretty darn close to the mouth. And I'm just thinking to myself, whoa, is it, don't dogs eat their own poop? I mean, is that really something we want to do? But help me with that. What can people do uh, yeah. to make sure that it's a clean area that you're kissing? Yeah, well, I... <laughs> That's a really know, good question. There, yeah, it is. I wish there was a Listerine for dogs, but, you know, there really isn't. Uh, and, yeah, and it grosses me out uh, when I see, you know, those people. And the people will come in and they say, yeah, my dog likes to eat poop. And then I think, yeah, okay, well, I'm happy for you, dog, but guess what? That's, that's not a good thing to be laying on the bed there panting next to the owners. And, uh, and you just went out and enjoyed some delicacies of the yard. Uh, yeah. and, uh, it's just, you know, it, it's oral hygiene, and it's just that kind of overall thing. And I, I wish I had a magic answer for that, uh, and I wish I had a magic answer for some of those dogs that are poop eaters. Uh, I tell people that... It's probably left over from dinosaur days when uh, the herbivores are not pretty efficient protein users. Right. And if you're starving and you're a dog and there's some dinosaur poop, um, you might eat that just to try to get some calories if you're, you know, things are a little lean in the hunting department. But it's it's a behavioral thing, and it's been around since the beginning of time, and it is frustrating. And, yeah, if they want to eat poop, you know, don't be hopping on my bed. Yep, I, I guess the the science aspect in my brain kicks in and says, okay, well, is there any uh, evidence other than, um, you know, concern, any evidence that that particular behavior where dogs have done that and licked there, that, that people have had particular health problems associated with it? Is there any evidence of that? Well, maybe some anecdotal evidence. Yeah, that's what uh, I was I thinking. I don't know that there's, yeah, I don't know that there's any direct studies that have really have ever been done. Uh, what would what, what would probably what would what would one come down with an E. coli infection or or what would it be? Well, it would it would probably more center in the in oral cavity for the person, you know, chronic gingivitis, uh, periodontal disease, that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, I would, would check that, and, and certainly you bring up E. coli and you know some of the enteric pathogens. So that that certainly is a uh, a possibility. Uh, you know, the mouth and is the, the line of defense for those sorts of things. And the you know, lymphocytes that we have in our mouth and our tonsils and all that other kind of stuff uh, kind of tend to be the, you know, the, the initial barrier to prevent that from getting into our bodies. But I'm sure there have been people that have gone into the their local internal medicine a person with chronic diarrhea and uh, the, uh, the question that that uh, internal medicine person should ask and probably doesn't doesn't but uh yeah. does your dog eat poop does your dog <laughs> like to sit on, yeah. does your dog like to sit on your pillow and lick your face yeah uh, that yeah. to me that would be an appropriate question and the thing that it kind of segue into some of this stuff that it just 
uh, in veterinary medicine, at my age, I think I've been exposed to every pathogen on the planet. Right. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything too new that could come in. I tell people that, you know, Ebola, is that the best you can do? Uh, you know, <laughs> is in our field, we deal with all the species and all of those sorts of things. So I think as, as veterinarians, we're kind of blessed with an immune system that gets challenged with everything pretty much on a daily basis. So our T cells and B cells are looking around saying, yeah, whatever. You know, is that all there is? Yeah, I'm kind of and, there with you. And the, the problem with people, of course, is that they don't have those real challenges as we do. And so that I think there's more of an opportunistic opportunistic thing. And then there, there are diseases like Bartonella and some of the other bacterial things. that It can be a problem. It certainly can. And I think that's one of the things that internal medicine people on the human side really need to start asking. Okay, what pets do you have, and what are their problems? And That's because there's a, there's a, they are, there are communicable diseases, right. and so yes, there's probably anecdotal reports, but yeah, maybe it's time to start looking at some defined studies. Dr. Carl Murray, we need to take one more quick break, uh, sure. but when we come back, I'd like to talk about what other animals do people have as pets that, in your opinion, they need to pay more attention to dental care than maybe has been the tradition. And we'll have that conversation with Dr. Ben Calmery from the Dixboro Veterinary Dental Clinic in Ann Arbor right after the break on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. It's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we've been talking this morning with Dr. Ben Calmery, who is with the Dixboro Veterinary Dental clinic in Ann Arbor. And doctor, I asked the question before the break that we'd like to talk about. We've talked a lot about taking care of the teeth of dogs, but what other animals do people have as pets that in your mind you think that, you know, maybe you should do a little bit more attention showing of of the oral cavity and not everything else? Uh, what other animals are out there that we need to think about? Well, they're pocket pets. Uh, I, uh, people will have some of these, um, uh, you know, little gerbils, and and they'll have guinea pigs and those sorts of things. And people will have ferrets, uh, and they they can be uh, addressed in bunny rabbits and that. There are animals who have continuously erupting teeth, like a lot of the rodents, and they need to be addressed from time to time, especially if they have a hyper-eruption of their incisors. Uh, rabbits can kind of be a little bit of a challenge in terms of uh, management with them, in terms of drugs and anesthesia and that sort. But on occasion, I've you know dealt with some ferrets and then dealt with some of these other critters. Uh, and it's as much just to look at, make sure there's not overgrowth of teeth in the mouth or a busted tooth, that sort of thing. Uh, the other area that certainly most of the horse owners understand uh, is that those equines need dental care as well. Uh, and they do get into a lot of problems as they age uh, with hypereruption and malocclusions and this sort of stuff. And people who ride competitively understand that totally. Somebody who has a backyard horse who just uses it for recreation and just you know, tromps around in the woods 
still those horses need to have care. And there are large animal vets. That would not be me. There are large animal vets that will do those that have the right instrumentation and equipment to care for them. And dogs and cats are living a heck of a lot longer and so are horses. And uh, they can get in some big-time problems uh, as they age. So I think that would be the you know the other arena that's kind of pay attention to. Now brushing a ferret's teeth, yeah, that's not going to happen. And, uh, so, so you know there there are some limitations with these things, but I think you have to look at the at the species and the physiology of their mouth and the way Mother Nature and God designed them, and then to see what are you know the potential things that could go wrong. And there there are veterinary clinics out there that specialize in, uh, use the term exotic, uh, pets uh, that do these sorts of things. And, and that's fine, and that, that's a good thing. They're reasonably low maintenance, but still, nevertheless, you got to kind of pay attention to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I find just, you know, the, the fact that they don't know enough about the proper nutrition uh, the the right kind of enrichment toys and such to work with, you know, you can't learn enough about some of those small animal uh, needs and, and uh, you know, things like rabbits and guinea pigs. It's going to be a lot of prevention by just providing the right kind of enrichment that, that can kind of prevent that from being – and diet. Diet can be definitely Absolutely. critical. Uh, a lot of sugars in, in products. Uh, that's the one yeah. thing we've been uh-huh. trying to do is – for some of these species of animals, they can't tolerate sugar at all. And to, to make sure that we're finding that formula that's least likely to cause long-term problems, the better. And, and unfortunately, with the small animals, more so than dogs and cats, there's been a microscope on dogs and cats as far as examining what they should really be eating. But that is only in the new horizon within the last 5, 10 years has there been really much attention drawn for small animal and small animal nutrition and making sure that we're pulling out stuff that we used to, you know, it used to be as, as if they'd be fed soup, fruit loops, it, it almost seemed yeah. like. And and those are the kind of the disastrous pathways that uh, you're inevitably going to see lots of dental problems as well as dietary and, and nutritional problems, uh, diabetes and other other problems that uh, you really can't get a, get anybody to help you. You've got to, if you have a you know, $20 hamster, you know, you don't, you don't typically think to go to the, to, to, to the vet on an annual basis, you know, so you better prevent the, as much as you can, is my, my perspective. No, I agree a hundred thousand percent. And you're absolutely completely right uh, on the nutritional aspect. And I think finally, slowly, but surely, uh, industry and concerned people are beginning to look at what do they really need what what did they evolve on? And that's what I tell people. You've got to go back to dinosaur days, and, and what did these species evolve on? And yeah. it's just the same with people. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can finish up here. But, uh, yeah, the bottom line uh, is that I see this in, in, in my companion animals uh, as well, as they are living a heck of a lot longer than they used to because nutrition is being defined. And just as you said with the pocket pets and that, you know, finally, finally, we're getting some decent stuff out there mm-hmm. uh, that's not ugh, just nastiness. Right, right. Now, if if somebody out there uh, wants to ask more or understand more about what's going on with their pet, uh, are there ways of communicating? Do you do you direct them to the vet? Is there ways of communicating to you to to kind of get a 
get an opinion on, on what's going on? Yeah, five months is a sure. long wait. No, agreed. And I'm more than happy to, if people want to email my office uh, uh, images, you know, in this era of cell phones and taking pictures with your cell phone, I kind of wonder what cell phones are all about. I thought it was for communication. I didn't realize it was their cameras. Uh, and they just email me images of where they're concerned. Uh, having done this for too many years, I mean, it takes me about 1.2 milliseconds to, to take a look at something and say, okay, well, this is what needs to be done. And I'm happy to do that as a public service. I don't charge for it because it just takes me just a, a minute max uh, to do that. And if I can help these little critters out and get people headed in the right direction, that makes me feel good. Well, I think that is an excellent gesture. And Dr. Colmery, I guess the last question that I will ask you is when people go to their vets and choose a vet, say you get a new pet, how important is it that that vet do dentistry as part of, of what they do? Is that an important ingredient, or uh, do you think that it's still okay to deal with someone who may not do it and refer you to an expert like yourself? Well, it's kind of a geographic thing, and, uh, and certainly I would be ecstatic when uh, just uh, general practitioners and the primary vet is able to do uh, really the thorough oral exams and interoral radiology and understand their limitations. You know, if they know what they can do and what they can't do, that I'm ecstatic with that. But I think that they can certainly provide the initial care, you know, get the animal in happiness land, SIVO, fluorine, and and do the films, the, the digital stuff. And in this digital era, too, I get veterinarians that send me digital images all the time. And uh, what do you think, Ben? I said, hmm, that tooth, tooth needs to go bye-bye. Uh, so, yeah, that's, I think the, the, the primary veterinarian is, is really the, the first step in the whole process. And it doesn't mean that I need to see every dog on the planet, for God's sakes. I mean, come on. Well, uh, but I think that the veterinarian that can do the imaging can understand their limitations, that know their skill set, what they can do and what they can't do. Right. You know, rock and roll. And I'm more than happy to be, you know, kind of that follow-up person if there is something that's a challenge that the veterinarian doesn't feel comfortable doing. Well, well Dr. Comery. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to follow up on another time. Yeah, we are out of time. But thank you so much for your time. We've been speaking with Dr. Ben Colmery and Rick. I I, I got enough questions left. He he always answers them all. So <laughs> on behalf of our producer, Bruce Warner and Rick Pruce, my co-host in the studio, this is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend and a great weekend. We'll talk next weekend on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. The shark has such teeth, dear.